Welcome back to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout. This is part three of the Michael Moore Evander Holyfield heavyweight title fight, in which Teddy won his first heavyweight title as a trainer. Um, when we left off last time, Teddy, you guys had just gone into the ring. MC Hammer's in there. The crowd is lively, and you just told Michael that this is the first, this is the last time that you'll walk out into the ring first. I'll let you pick it up from there. <laughs> Boy, um, and we were just watching clips of the old fight, and you said it brought back a lot of memories. And the first thing I noticed is that you looked like a teenager in those videos. Yeah, I didn't realize how young you were. I mean, you know, obviously I know all the details, but to see how young you looked in those things, it really highlights what a big deal it was, not just for Michael, but for you as a trainer to be that young and training a heavyweight champion of the world. It's an incredible story. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, well, take it from there. We, you know, like I had said, I just want to keep his, I, I want to make sure that nothing goes wrong now in the last seconds, you know, that his mind is where it needs to be. Uh, you know, that we don't have any ninjas following us from the dressing room into the ring and crawling uh, through those ropes, you know, the ninjas of the imagination, that we are focused, you know, Every once in a while when I thought it was necessary, uh, I would just feel the pulse of it uh, and of the moment, and I might say something to him, you know. Uh, you know, make sure he stayed loose, make sure motion relieves tension, make sure that he keeps moving, you know. And uh, maybe every once in a while shoot out a little something as we were waiting for the ring instructions, we were waiting for the announcements, you know, while that time's going by. Uh, I was just keeping tabs on everything, you know, uh, looking at him, making sure, like I said, if I needed to say a couple words, you know, the jab is, remember, the jab is the key, you know. Uh, in camp, I remember there was a time in camp where I got the audience to kind of be on my side. I used the audience uh, where when they would come to those workouts, on a tennis court, I would sometimes uh, I'd go up to them before Michael got there. I'd go up to them and say, "Okay," and I'm sure they'd never been involved in a workout this way before, used in a workout this way before. And I went up to them one time. It was coming down the stretch, and I knew the key was going to be to use the jab because the jab. I looked at film and film and film. I saw that Holyfield had a habit. I was surprised nobody had ever picked up on it. Had a habit of bouncing. And I said, there it is. You know, you're looking for size. There it is. He he bounces like he reset. After he, he's a good offensive fighter. And when after he gets finished, you know, he'll, he'll get out. And then he'll start bouncing to to reset and to reboot, so to speak. So I said, that's it. Every time he goes there and he starts bouncing, when you're up and down, you're not set to do anything defensively or offensively. You're in the air. And you so, get knocked off balance with a, with a sneaky jab, right? Yeah, and a southpaw jab, especially, mm -hmm. and a good jab, and a straight jab, and a hard jab, which Moore had. So I said, the jab's the key. So some days he wasn't using it enough, and I said, you know what? I, in this world, you got to use anything. Anything. We need anything we can to give us that edge to help us, right? 
be creative. Grab like like that movie, Any Given Sunday with Al Pacino. Man, what a! I remember that that scene in the locker room when Al Pacino says to the group he's trying to get him ready for the championship game, playoff game, whatever it was, and he says. We need those inches. There's an inch. The difference between winning and losing in this game, in this world, in this life are inches. Inches. An inch this way, you blow it. An inch too much that way, you miss it. The inches are there. They're all around us. We have to grab those inches. Look for those inches. Take those inches. You know, and... (laughs) I, I, this was before that movie was ever thought of. <laughs> and I was just like thinking, I got to take whatever's there to take, to use. So one day I come into the into the training you know, area before Michael. I like to get there before him. And I would, uh, I just decided, I said, the jab is the, it's going to win this fight or it's going to lose the fight if we don't use it enough. And Michael wasn't using it quite enough. So I said, I know what I'm going to do. I went around to everybody sitting. <laughs> and I said, listen, when I give you the cue, I want you to all start saying, jam! They look at me like, all right, Teddy, we're in. Go to the next row of people. Guys, listen, when I tell you, I give you a little nod, jab, jab, jab. We're embarrassed this guy into jabbing. <laughs> Jab. He won't just be, he, I know he's sick and tired of hearing me. Let's see how sick and tired he hears when he hears, you know, a hundred of you. And that first time, yeah, it was really something. Even the manager, he was like, what? <laughs> this, <laughs> that's different, you know? And I just gave a nod and I was in the corner, you know, we were sparring. I think we sparred eight rounds that day. And um, I said, uh, Come on, you got to use that jab, Mike. Want to be heavyweight champ of the world? You know, all roads lead to the jab, babe. Come on, we got to use that jab. And I get down, and he wasn't using it. I yelled it a few times. Come on, Mike, use that jab. It wasn't, you know, all of a sudden I I went to my crew, my secret (laughs) weapon, like that. You know, you you got, I mean, you got a surround sound jab. (laughs) <laughs> First time ever. Surround sound jab. For jab, 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 jab. <laughs> so when we're in the ring now, I was thinking of that. You know, I was thinking so every once in a while I turned to him and said, Mike the jab. Jab's gonna Jab's winning us the title. Jab. So I I'd give him a little reminder, keep his mind wouldn't let it drift. I didn't want it to to go off, you know. When when you're in the ring like that and you can see it's obviously a tense moment, do you ever try, is it always deadly serious and always with the focus on the mission? Do, point, do you try no, any levity at no, all? No, no, like, not at that point. It's all serious. No, no, that, we don't need Don Wrinkles at that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> I we, don't mean no, no, I, I, I'm just I, saying, we don't, yeah, at, at that point, we're, <laughs> we know where we are. He knows where he is. There's, there's no levity. Um, you know, uh, the levity might be in the dressing room for a moment moment uh the night before obviously all that stuff but now you know uh you you you're in a zone um you know you're on the battlefield 
you know, on the battlefield, there's no levity. There's, there's you know what you're here for. Yeah. And there's, there's full 100% focus. And uh, you're not worried about smothering them or drowning them in that stuff now because now's the time to do what you have to do. Now's the time to bring all those things forward. Now's the time to, you know, to swim to victory. You know, so there's no drowning and stuff. You give them too much. No, no, it's, it's this is it, and you know what you got to do, and uh, and and the thing that the what I would say to them would be, you know, let's do what we did every day. Let's do what we did every day in the gym. Let's let's do that. Let's do what we did every day, every day, babe. Come on, and you know, just just reinforcements, and um, and and then just awareness. Being cognizant, ultrally, ultrally aware of my demeanor and my body language, that it had to be positive, that I could not show any, listen, we're, we're humans, right? We're nervous. I could not show any of that. Had to be very aware, step outside myself and watch myself, evaluate myself. I, I ask him to do something, I better be doing something too. Yeah. You can't be a one-way street here. Uh, be very, very conscious and on top of how I was looking, what I was portraying. Because you know what? He's looking at you. He's looking at you and he's saying, is Teddy confident? Teddy looks nervous. Teddy's not sure. <laughs> yeah. So so you can't at all give off that perception. That perception has to be, I'm 1,000% I'm sure of what's happening tonight. We are leaving this ring with the belt. And he has to feel that. He has to see that. Mm-hmm. He has to, you know, know what I've been feeding him has been eaten by me. Yeah. You know, that I'm not just telling him something just for the sake of saying it. And I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not drinking a lemonade too. I got I to gotta be the one that's believe Because the, you're the leader. You're the leader out into that battlefield. And they look to the leader. You know, of course, he's the one doing all the hard work. But, you know, he's believed you. Now he wants to, you, he better be able to believe you up to the moment of the battle before the first shot is fired. Yeah. So, you know, so it's all that. It's, it's all of that. And, um, and then it's, you know, what's the temperature? How long do I leave the robe on? You know, it's the chill in the air. All right, I'll leave the robe on until, uh, to, you know, until I, until they ready to start, uh, announcing each fighter, which now you know that you're two minutes away from the fight. Mm-hmm. Now you know you're close because you might be in the ring 15 minutes. Yeah. So you got to calculate that too, you know, all of that. When when do you take the rope off? When do you take this off, you know? And um, and then, uh, and then, like I said, you get, you know, you get to the center of the ring, you know, and you got the great, I believe I'm right, right? I remember correctly, it was Mills Lane, right? I yeah, believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right? Am I correct? Yeah, right? Mills Lane. Yeah. Uh, right? Yes. Okay. And uh yeah, so you you know, you get in the you get there and he gives you the instructions, you know, and then he says, like I said, any questions from this corner? Any questions from that corner? Okay, let's get it on. <laughs> <laughs> let's get it on. Prior to going into the ring with the hand wraps and stuff, you you send. Do you go into the? Did you go into Holyfield's corner? Or did you send a representative in to watch him get his hands? Yeah, wrapped? I sent somebody. I I uh, 
I send somebody, they send somebody, yeah. I send somebody over, you know, and uh, plus you have the commission there, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, and then, you know, where you go down those, you go down those steps, you give them a little water first, yeah. You know, you rinse your mouth. You already had the mouthpiece rinsed off. I even had a little water left in the mouthpiece, so it would be fresh. <laughs> you know, you thought of everything. Yeah, it's, it's your job. Yeah, I mean, this is all for, this is for that's an important uh, detail. Too, this is for a lifetime. This is this lasts a lifetime. What's going to happen here? I remember telling him, Michael, what's going to happen in the next thirty-six minutes of your life is going to influence the next. 45 years of your life, mm-hmm. how you behave, the choices you make. And I even would say to him that you have been through more difficult things already in your life than you're going to go through tonight. We don't, we forget that sometimes. We, we forget that. You've already overcome some things, usually, you know, coming. Uh, to where you want to get to, to the pinnacle of where you're trying to get to, you have already overcome some hardships, um, some, in some cases, some tragedies, uh, definitely controversial things, difficult things. You've already overcome some things that uh, that have been more difficult than this, but nothing that is going to be close to what this is as far as influencing the rest of your life, changing your life. And um, I also say that, like I said to Alex before the title fight with Adonis Stevenson, that, you know, things have happened in your life to forge you, to prepare you for this. Use them. Use them. You know, visit where you've overcome something, where you've dealt with something, where you were stronger than you thought you could be. It's all around us. You don't realize it sometimes. You know, people talk about experience. They use the word experience. I say to the fighters, what's experience? Memory. Memory. Remember. Remember how you felt and how you wanted to feel. And remember in the eighth round, the ninth round, when it's harder to remember it. Remember it. So, you know, and bang, nose laying leaves. We I put the mouthpiece in, you know, everybody gets out of the ring. There's the man. There's the man. One of the greatest of all time. That Michael Buffer looks awful young. <laughs> My goodness. He still looks My pretty goodness. Young. Let's get it on. And uh boom. You get, you know, you get, you get everybody out of the ring. You're the last one out. What'd you say to him as you were getting out? What was the last words? Let's go, champ. And you give him, a, you know, you give him a hug. And uh, you get out. You go down those steps. And even that, even that, you you got everything organized already. You already went. I, I went through a dry run with my corner. I went through a dry run. I made him go to the, I made him go uh, and look at where the earlier where the ring was and and discuss who was going to be on what side, who was going to go up first. 
Who's going to hand me the stool so I can slide it in? Yeah. Who's who's taking care of the water? Who's taking care of the Vaseline? You know, everything organized, everything ready. You want it to run right. You have a responsibility to that kid. You know, it's your responsibility. He trusts you. Yeah. You better freaking be ready. And uh, so, you you know, so even when I'm going down, so you get everybody out, let's go. We go down the steps. And even as you go down the steps, the bell's ringing almost immediately. I'm going down a little bit backwards because I want my eyes, I don't want to miss five seconds of action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want to miss five seconds. Who knows how quick they're going to meet. You know, so you're down there, you're sitting on the stool. I got the stool. I'm going to put it in the ring. And before there, you go there on, it speaking is. of in the corner and having a plan with your team, one of the things in a recent fight that I noticed in the Anthony Joshua Ruiz fight, there was a one guy, Manny Robles is the main trainer, he's in the corner. And at one point, someone else from Ruiz's corner is chirp, 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 you screaming at him. And finally, that's not he, even, okay. One person talks, and, uh, and I don't want to make myself different, no, better, no, no. less of this, that. But listen, there's one person in charge. Uh, it's up to other people, whatever they choose to do. That's up to them. I'm the, not point, the point I was going to make is Andy Ruiz himself turned to the his trainer and shushed him. And Manny Robles kind of shushed him as well and leaned in and just started sure. talking, taking directions. Like the fighter it. and the trainer knew. Shouldn't, have but to, the, the, shouldn't even have to be. There was like a wild card in the corner who was just even overexcited. But, I but that's an important point that you no, brought up. No, that you're right. Everyone needs to know their role. You can't have 10 people yelling but, instructions. But it's the chief second. It's the head trainer. That supposedly, in my case, and in the way I was brought up in this business, puts that all together, and he's right. in charge. There's nobody else. Yeah, that's what I wanted There's to no point other out. Voice. How significant that is. There's no other voice is. because you're already in a place of chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called boxing. You're always, you're already in a place that can be chaotic. That you have to be calm in. You have to be calm in an uncalm place. Mm-hmm. Comfortably uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well put. And so you can't have any confusion, any static, anything but one clean, strong, leading voice that the fighter hears. Yeah. uh, I mean, otherwise it's not a professional corner. Yeah, that's an important thing for people to notice. But some people don't. I don't know. I mean, they let things happen in anything. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know on the sideline, Bill Belichick's the only guy that's uh, talking when it's time to say what really has to be said. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, Pat Riley or Phil Jackson or, you know. Uh, Bill Parcells is a good uh, example. Uh, 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 he was not one Bill to Parcells. let anyone get out of the I line. mean, there's nobody else talking in that huddle when when it's the coach giving, in, uh, giving some directive. Uh, to what he wants done. I mean, that's why he's the coach. You know, but but does it happen? If you allow it to, yeah, it, it, of course it happens in different things. But does it happen in the places where you have a consistent level of uh, of success? No, because they know it's not supposed to happen. It's, it's not called for. It's not allowed. It's not allowable. And is it being a dictator? Is it being, I don't want to hear these silly words. Yeah, it is. You're in charge. Yeah. It's your job. Yeah. What, what are you, I'm supposed to shy from that? Oh, Teddy, you, you're like an army sergeant. Uh, that's what you want to. Or like a CEO. You want to call Yeah. So you want to call it that? But what am I supposed to 
until when they're supposed to be. When things don't go right, they look to the head man yeah, and are I mean, looking for the uh, assistant trainer. I mean, so, what is it supposed to be? What, you, what is it supposed to be? Vapor room? <laughs> uh, you're supposed to have a bunch of coach by and committee. Then everybody, hey, would you have something to say? <laughs> yeah, hey, how about you? You want to chime here? How about you? You want to say something? <laughs> I mean, why should you even have to explain such yeah. things? No, no, I'm with you. I mean, your life's on the line. Yeah. Your career. Where your family's going to live, what schools they're going to go to. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, things that they're going to have or not have. Yeah. It's, it's on the line. And, you know, I mean, would you, if your life was on the line in a, in a courtroom and with your lawyer, and, you know, and what happens in front of that jury, in front of that judge, is going to tell whether or not you have a free life. Do you, would you like to, you know, have, have a lawyer that in the, in the midst of his, you know, directing the jury. Uh, closing arguments. Yeah, closing arguments, whatever. Uh, four of his friends from the neighborhood who happen to <laughs> have uh, watched a lot of Justice Fall. <laughs> uh, they did. They watched the whole movie. Okay, <laughs> they, they, Judge, they, they, and Judge they watched, Judy. And they were, and when they were young, they watched Perry Mason. <laughs> they were great Perry Mason fans, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're gonna hey, hey, hey throw this at them and and remind them, uh, remind them of 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 this uh, stature. And I found, you know, and and how about, you know, how about the Gibraltar Act? I don't know what the Gibraltar Act is. I'm not sure. But you you get the point. Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to highlight the fact yeah. that like what you were saying about rehearsing but people, the corner and like how significant that is and the contrast in style. How you, if you watch a fight, you'll see some corners that are chaotic. And other corners that are like yeah, and listen, I'm, I'm not going to knock them. I'm not going to say anything other than it speaks for itself. You know, it speaks for itself. I mean, there's one that maybe, you know, I mean, the only team that I've seen being really successful is the Crawford team of trainers. But even when it comes to the corner, they got three guys that, that are involved in his training in the gym. Usually it's one person, obviously. Um, but they're successful and they're organized and they're – you know, there's a reason why they're successful. And I believe in their corner, there's only one guy talking. Mm -hmm. You know, that maybe they confer, but at the end of the day, it's one guy that's putting it forward. But, you know, uh, again, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting in an airplane, you know, going somewhere. Uh, you know, you know, you don't want a bunch of uh, passengers that saw airplane too <laughs> coming into the cockpit and saying, "Hey, hey, John, is that your name, John? Pilot, John, that you? Hey, hey, love those wings. Shirley, you love. can't be serious. Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> love those wings. Uh, can I get a pair of them for my son back here? I mean, you know. So here we are. So the fight. So you go down the stairs. Bell rings." Yeah. Talk to me about what happens in the first round and how it's No, what am I looking for? I'm looking to see that jam mm -hmm. at the right distance, not from too close where you could get counted. Uh, Holyfield's a good inside fighter. You know, if we're in the inside, I, mean, I don't want him laying his head in the middle where he could be susceptible to an uppercut or something. Uh, you know, I also 
I wanted him to go to the body. You know, it was very interesting. I told him to go to the body in this fight because you look at the body of Holyfield and it's chiseled. And, you know, he used to work with Lee Haney, the eight-time Mr. Olympian, uh, you know, for some help with physical training. And, uh, you know, he had, a, he had a sculpted body, Holyfield. And, but it was a thin waist. Yeah. And, but you look at the body, the, the average person would say, I'm not even going to bother, you know, going there. That, I wouldn't even bother. You know, that, that, that would be, you know, that, what would be the use of that? You know, uh, it, it would, you know, it would be like, uh, shooting a peace shooter at, at a, you know, at a B-52 uh, bomber, you know, mm. it would be like, I mean, what's the sense? It would be senseless, you know. Uh, again, you know, throwing water balloons at a tank, <laughs> you know, what, what would be the sense? But I found sense. I found sense because I looked back at tape when I was getting ready for camp and I watched the fight with Michael Dokes, who had the heavyweight title for a few minutes, and... He fought Holyfield. He was a pretty good fighter, Dokes. Good hand speed, not a bad fighter. It's just that he had some drug problems late, and he was, because of that, unfortunately, obviously his career was, his talent didn't consistently get him to where it could have gotten him because of those habits. Uh, the consistency was gone. and But he had been a heavyweight champ. And he's fighting Holyfield, and he hurts Holyfield to the body bad. Mm. Holyfield has so much heart, he overcomes it. But he hurts him bad. That wasn't missed on me. I saw it. That's my job to see those things. And I said, okay, we got to go to the body. Because, you know, we see this chiseled body, but it can be hurt. Because it's so thin. Yeah. It's, it's so streamlined. In some way, a positive to the to the eye can actually be a negative in reality, a negative in reality, because you look at his streamlined body and you say, well, you can't penetrate that. But then you say, well, wait a minute, it's so streamlined that what's there to penetrate? There's, there's not a lot of insulation there. <laughs> yeah. So and we hurt him in the body in that fight, in this fight. We did. A lot of people miss that. Rob will probably be able to find some spots uh, and pull it up. But uh, so that's what I was looking for too. Opportunities to bang him in the body, uh, to slow him down, just to slow the great warrior down. You know, uh, there's a Sherman tank coming at you. You know what I mean? You, you might not be able to blow up the tank, but you know what? You can throw some hand grenades in front of it and slow it down. Yeah. You know? And that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want him to get going too fast where he could overcome my override my guy or overrun my guy before we got into the fight. Yeah. You know, I didn't want the moment to take him. I didn't want his physicality and his will, the will of Holyfield to to jump on him so fast that we never got a chance to show what we had, you know? So um, I'm looking for those things. And, you know, we get through the first round, you know? And then uh, we get up there and, you know, I remind them about the jab and those things. And then we get to the second round. And you never know when a turning point's going to happen. You never know when a lightning bolt's going to come out of the strike. You never know how to strike out of the sky. You never know 
when you're going to get that wake-up moment. But we got it quick. Second round. You know, we got inside, laid in the middle a little bit. Bang! Uppercut. Down. Oh. Yeah. What goes through your mind when that happens? Get up. Get up. Get up. Uh, main thing is get up, but uh, get up and looking to see how he looks. I can see he was clear. Had you mistake. spoken to him prior to the fight and said, look, should you go down? No, no, I don't say that. We corner. don't say nothing negative. No, no, no. Okay. No, no. No, 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 not negative. Uh, what I say to him is there come a moment that you're going to have to overcome. The only reason I ask That's is all. because from when we had Andrew Cancio on the show, he had mentioned that he got dropped in the first round of his fight against Machado, and he said, I knew when I go down to look at the corner, take a knee, catch my yeah. breath, take the eight count, get up. You know, I don't talk about okay. uh, any, I don't I put any negative uh, things. Fighters know what could happen. And he knows to look at the corner. Anytime, I, you know, he's been told already, you know, he knows. In other ways, he's been told. But in this situation, uh, I'm just looking to see if he's if his legs are sturdy. They are. He's good. He's all right. He made a mistake. Flash. Flash knockdown. But now, my job is to immediately evaluate why it happened because... I have to tell him why he got hit. It's not enough to just say, okay, you know, shake it off. I, you got to let him know why so it doesn't happen again. Yeah, and the fighter wants to know. That That's that's his release point of getting past that. That's part of it is to know. If you don't know, then it's like, you know, going into that dog alley again where, you know, you could get mugged again. You, you got to know. At least put a light, shine a light on. You know, something happened in that room. What happens when, you know, uh, and the kid gets very upset, right? Thinks the, thinks the boogeyman's there. What do you do? You put the light on. Well, you, same thing. You put the light on. You don't tell him the boogeyman's gone. No, it's still dark in here. How do I know he's gone? <laughs> you put the light on. So the light is me giving him information. I got to tell him why he got hit. So I already, I have to, in my head, say, okay, this is what I got to tell him when he comes back. You know, and I got to think of something else. Maybe there's one thing that I got to tell him. He's got, he has to hear something that will not just comfort him, but will get him past that. I got to give him a bridge. I got to give him a bridge to get from there to there. So I put him, I, it, sometimes it comes to you right then, or sometimes it comes to you as you're walking up the steps, <laughs> you know, but you better have it. So, uh, you know, I look at it and um, it was early in the round. I found out afterwards that my son and daughter and wife, they're watching a fight ringside, obviously. He goes down and my mother, my, my daughter and uh, wife start uh, crying from what I understand. Or they get very, my daughter might have started crying. And uh, my, my wife closes her eyes and, she, you know, she didn't have the kids there. I think she was going to leave the arena. So they were nervous. My son? No. Nah. Watching the whole thing, seven years old, watching the whole thing. He goes, he's all right. He, it's just a flash. He, <laughs> <laughs> now call. He, he would call a, a call because yeah. he was still little. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. A call. He's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a little dundee. So, so now uh, they, 
he gets back to the. I'm, I'm, I'm watching. I know there's a lot of time left, and um, he recovers, gets up, gets back, and he he finishes strong, dominates the last part of the fight. Who knew that at that moment, that was the world title for us? Who knew? In life, you never know what moment. So grab them all. You never know which is the one that could be a turning point in your life. You never know which is the one that could count. That you might, you might otherwise just step over it and kind of just, just walk past it. Every one of them is important. Every one of them is potentially that moment. How many of them you had in your life that you just thought uh, it was it was lost already? You know, this is no no. It's never too late. Uh, don't let the moment go. Stay with it to the end. You never know which one and where it's going to bring you. And that moment, that was the title fight because at the end when the scores got t- tabulated up, because of the way he came back. Normally that's a 10-8 round. Yeah, yeah. But because of the way he came back, one of the judges decided to make it 10-9. Which is probably the right way to score that. Yeah, but not everybody does. Same with that 12th round in the yeah. Fury-Wilder fight. I think I'm being correct about this. My memory <clears throat> stays with me correct. But yeah. Yeah, and you're right. And um, so... At the end, that was the difference between a draw, which would allow Holyfield to keep his title, and a win for us, a majority win. In between the second and third, after he got dropped, but then won the rest of the round, there must have been a good building block for you to come in and tell him, like, look, you got dropped and you still beat him up. Let's I, build no, on I that. didn't say that. You know what I said? Yeah. I said, we've been there before. Because I knew he had been dropped and won fights before. Yeah. Came off the floor. So I said, so I basically said to him, hey, no new territory, no foreign territory. Uh, every time, whenever you've been dropped before, what did you do? You won. I said, same thing here. I said, same thing here. And then I told him what happened. I said, you, you, threw, you threw a punch, you know, um, I don't even remember it was what it was that caught him. I think it was a might have been a right hand that caught him. And if I remember correctly, I told uh, Mora, I said, "You threw an uppercut. You, you threw whatever combination it was. You threw it. You came up a little too high, and you didn't move after it. You kind of you kind of laid there, kind of like I always say, don't take a picture.'" You know, after your punch, you know, the, don't wait around, you know, don't pose after your punch, <laughs> you know, that kind of little yeah, yeah. sayings. And I think it was like he threw an uppercut and he came up and and he might have, I don't know if he put something on top of it, he's a southpaw, so it would have been boom, boom. He came up too high and he didn't move after it. But I remember saying to him, you came up a little too high, you got to move after that punch. You you, you, you laid there, you, you flattened out. And um, he, he looked at me, so I, I looked at his eyes, you know, and uh, I said, good. I said, now we know we're in familiar territory. We Every time this has happened, you won. 
And uh, let's go out there and start controlling him with that jab now. And uh, don't allow him to to have free walks in a park. What I mean by that is just to to walk territory into you uh, without paying a price. You know, make him pay for that real estate. He wants to come in two feet, hit him with three punches. Yeah. Charge him for that real estate. <laughs> so uh, let's get going. Let's get going. You know, so we got past that. Again, I didn't know at the time. I, uh, I, I don't know if one judge made that second round 10-9 or 10-10, but uh, they might have even made it a 10-10 round. I'm trying to remember because he came back so strong. Uh, here it is. Here. And you could see. So, that's what it was. I was right. He threw an uppercut and it missed, and he came up too high. Watch, watch here. See how he went? See he he let the uppercut go too far, and it made him lay there. Yeah. It made him like good fighters counter right back, right back. So what he did was instead of throwing up a gun, boom, right there, he let it go too far and he came up with it. Yeah. And it kept him it kept him in the line of fire too long. Yeah. And and Holyfield, being an experienced warrior that he is, came right back and nailed him. But so he understood now, you know, uh, you gotta take a little fat off the punches. There was a yeah. little fat on that, you know. It was a vicious uppercut. Too bad it didn't land. But uh, <laughs> you know, so we get past there, now we're going into the third. And now, you know, it's just, I'm not going to go over every round. Right, right, right. But we, we go, you know, we're, we're going through every, you know, you just, you're watching, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're flying a plane and you're, you're watching for turbulence. You're watching for everything, <laughs> you know, everything. You're watching for everything. What's up in front of you, you know, and... uh you you're making judgments as you go, as to when you gotta when you gotta you know go up, put the flaps and go up, or go down and go to the side, and uh, but the main thing was I want that jab, I want that jab in there, I wanted disrupting him, I wanted uh, not allowing this machine to get going, you know, disrupt the rhythm. That was the whole idea when he's bouncing, that when he would bounce, you could hit him with the jab in the middle of those bounces. And just take him out of rhythm. Yeah. Never really let him get into harmony. You know, break up that orchestra. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, don't don't let the horns and the, the, the <laughs> strings and the, the concussion percussion uh, percussion. Thank. That's why I have you here. <laughs> I I'm concussed. I I have a concussion. Don't allow all those uh, instruments. You know, to get into sync. Yep. You know, and so you 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 know every second you're watching everything. You're watching everything. Even my own corner, I'm watching. You know, um, and I remember there was a moment where it got to a place where I didn't think we were doing enough. I thought that we could do more. That there was something. Something I don't know if it was something wrong with Holyfield, but the moment was there for us to do more and we could do more and we're not. And, you know, sometimes just like in life and anything, uh, you have a pre-thought judgment going into something, into a meeting with someone, into a workplace with someone, into a project, uh, into a task that 
that you made it harder than it really is. So that holds you back. It's kind of like we call in boxing giving somebody too much respect. And then you'd realize in a locker room that you gave him too much respect. You could have done more, but it's too late in a locker room. I felt like that was happening. Yeah. Like we're going to get to the locker room. We're going to realize what we could have done. I don't want to get there and realize it. I don't want to get there and realize it. I want to realize it now. So I was, I was, I was squeezing that every drip. I, I felt like that was my just squeeze it and get more. There's more. And, uh, I, I, I didn't feel we were always getting, and Michael would be sorry later when he realized in the locker room or the next day when the dust settled, uh, and he could see clearly. You can't see clear in the fog of pressure. But later on, when you could see clearly of what it was versus what he thought it was, what he imagined it was before time, that was less. And he didn't do more. And so it was my job to get that message across. And, you know, he was languishing a little bit, lethargic a little bit in spots. And I just, and I, I understand it. I get it. You're in a tough place. The like pressure, a lack of urgency the, almost. Yeah, because the pressure, the pressure is bogging you down. And if you're not being forced to do something, human nature is to fall into that convenient mode and do just enough because if you do more, it it might, if you do more, it might expose you to more. It might ignite something in a guy. And the way it is right now, maybe we'll leave it, we'll kind of leave the, leave it alone. Don't kick the bear. Yeah. And we couldn't have that because I know where it's going to lead us. And so I, you know, I saw, I, I use a phrase in ESPN when I did the broad, used to do the broadcast at ringside. And uh, I had these different terms that I would come up with, and they were all connected with my training. And one of them was, don't throw, don't hit me punches. You know, punches where you don't even realize, but and you throw, don't hit me punches, like just not really to do damage, not to bang, bang, not to do what they should be doing, but just to keep the guy off and hope he don't hit you. Just to keep the guy off instead of what it should be. Like... Uh, it's like you're trying to make a agreement. It's like, like you you you're trying you're trying to uh, negotiate something. There's Cause no because the, the other guy can sense exactly what no, you're doing, right? There's no negotiation here, right? One boss, who is it? So he's throwing these "don't hit me" punches, and I'm like, you know, we got to get out of this. Yeah, you know. And it's a good place to say to what we always said when I started this that we're going to connect the dots to life. Um, how many of you guys out there really have thrown don't hit me punches in your places in life? Think about it. Think about it. Really, in your business, uh, your business, whatever, anybody's business, that you thrown don't hit me punches. And the other thing is you get inside. When it was inside, I want him to go to the body. How do you go to the body? How do you work on this? How you rotate your, your shoulders so you have room to punch? You take a heavy step to give yourself. You don't smother yourself. You keep your hands in punching position instead of letting them go behind the guy where you get tied up and you can't use them. So instead of in passive position, put them in 
you know, aggressive, uh, an aggressive position where they can be used. Where you, uh, you know, they can be, they can be used, but here they can't be used. They get taken away from you, you know. And when you don't do that, sometimes under pressure, again, another term that I would use and me and Cus would use, you make silent agreements. Yeah, where you kind of like you're under pressure and you put your hand behind the guy and like, if you don't hit me, I won't hit you. It's in a silent agreement. No words necessary. They know. Everyone knows. And you almost see that more inspiring at times, right? Like guys inspiring will be yeah, like, wow, we're mind. working really hard. Let's both take a break. And but you don't have to say it out loud. It's just understood from the body language. Yeah, exactly. And we we only get one shot at this. Mm-hmm. I we ain't getting another shot. That's how you figure. You can so you can't be doing that. This this ain't sparring. So you know, so there's these silent agreements. And again, in life, you ever made silent agreements? People do in the office, like, hey, don't expect too much from me on this presentation. I won't expect too much from you. And you think you have a silent agreement. Guy shows up with, a, you know, something that would win a, a prize at a presentation contest. You make silent agreements? And you so, show up with half-assed work. It happens all the time. So this is what I'm seeing, and this is what I'm concerned about, and trying to regulate, trying to navigate and um you know and i understand why i understand that he's under the pressure i'm not but it's my job to to get him through it my job to see it outside to see what he's not seeing because he he's not able to see it he doesn't want to see it i gotta see it and uh and i can't i can't make a silent agreement and i almost was tempted to make one because one of the cornermen says to me at a certain point around the seventh round, eighth round, whatever round it was, said to me, it ain't your fault. He doesn't want the title. And I I went ballistic. I almost threw the guy out of the corner. <laughs> and this guy's given me he's given me an alibi. Yeah. He's being he thinks he's being a friend. I get yeah. it. I get it. I get it. But He's just, he's being what too many of us are under pressure. He's relinquishing. He's, he's, he's going to that convenient place, putting it on someone else. Yeah. And he's saying, Ted, you did everything you could do. He actually said, you did everything. It's on him. It's on Michael. And I went crazy. Within, within. I said, is that what freaking's going on? And now I had to judge myself. And look inwardly, I was like, is that what the fuck's going on? Is that what this guy's thinking? Is that what the, my corner? Is this what people think? That that it's okay to just let it go and as long as you don't get the f- freaking blame? And you still have a third of the fight. And you don't get the freaking blame? And I said, this ain't happening. There is more to be done. I ain't sitting here as a passenger in this freaking thing. Yeah. That's what they're saying. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. You're a passenger. No, I'm not. Not until I allow myself to become one. Next thing I know, I'm climbing up the steps. And um, I I take this stool and I sit in it. <laughs> it's an iconic moment. And... uh that was that's where it came from. So the people at least know now. And I sit down, and he comes back, and you know he's a little shocked, I guess. And he's, he looks at me, and he's like looking at me, and I said, "You don't want to win the title? Give me the freaking water. Then give me the water. Then 
because I want to win this title. You know, of course, thank God he didn't say okay. <laughs> I know, but I'm just doing my job. People say, oh, you're grandstanding, you're doing this, you're doing... No, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the person. I understood that a moment like this might happen this night. That's being prepared as a pro. I knew. I'm not better, I'm not less, I'm not that. I'm me. And I was brought up to be a trainer. So I knew, I was ready for the terrain. I looked at what the terrain could possibly be, what could come that night with my fighter because I knew my fighter, how he might act that night, what might happen that night. So I was, that, that meant I had to be ready to jump start. I knew that I had a car that might need a battery, might need a jump start at some point. So I brought cables <laughs> in my head. I was ready for something. I didn't know what it was going to be. And then it was there. And then my corner man made me think of it. Because I started to feel like I was, I'm either going to make a silent agreement and go along and not get blamed. Because when it's over, I'm the young top, I'm one of the top guys out there uh, from Custom Auto and the young master. And, you know, he, he just wasn't the right guy. Teddy had him ready. He was in shape. He wasn't the right guy. He didn't want to win that night. No, no. I'd be the wrong guy. I, it's on me. You can't. That's a silent agreement. That's a silent agreement. And and you could do that. I could have done that. I could have easily done that. Easily. I, I felt it. That's what scared the crap out of me when he said it. it. It scared me. I was like, holy shit. That's what they're thinking. It was like almost like you're capitulating. Uh, yeah, like, holy shit, I'm supposed to. Like, this is an option. It's not a freaking option. So next thing you know, I'm in the and I'm saying, give me water. I'm just, and he's, you know, and then he's looking at me like, you know, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I said, you want to fight? You want to win this title? You want to win this title? And he said, yeah. I said, say it, and I'll get up. Say it. Say you want to win the title. I want to win the title. And I got up. I, you know, and then he sat down. And I said, then start acting like it. And then I started saying things to him. I don't know what, I, I, it just came out at that moment. I don't know if Robbie has it, but I basically said that uh, there comes a time in a man's life where you make a choice, you make a decision. You either want to win or you want to survive. You're doing enough to survive. You're doing enough to keep him off you. You're doing enough to just keep him off you. And um, you're going to, if, if you continue doing this, you're going to cry tomorrow. You're going to realize it when it's too late and you're going to cry tomorrow. And I'm just telling you. And I'm, if I didn't tell you, I'd be lying to you. You know, I'd be lying to you. I, I had to get true to him. And that's the way I got true to him for me. I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you. Yeah, you're going to cry. You're going to cry tomorrow. And you don't need to cry tomorrow. And, um, so let's start doing what we got. Let's start using the jab. Start backing this guy up. I might have used a few words that wasn't so nice. That wasn't it. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the round. So we're talking about the eighth round. Yeah. That was that might have been earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is. Here it is. 
Wow, great stuff. Michael, you got three rounds left. You got 12 minutes left. You're blowing it. You're blowing it. I'm telling you, you're blowing it. And you know what? You're going to cry afterwards. You're going to cry afterwards. Because the door there for you, he's going to lose his next fight instead of this fight. I just saw sort of it. Michael, in your mind, you're going to cry. Awesome. Yeah, that's a very bad corner. You know, we, because you know, I'm not he's had no words of advice. Like, and nope. He got there. <laughs> Because Michael made the choice to get there, no, no other reason. He just he he made the choice. But the one clip that was some stuff there, but you, you missed the one, and Rob will find it at some point. But it was actually uh, it was in the corner after the eighth round, I believe, if yeah. I remember. And that's the one where I I just was trying to recite what I said, yeah. which was basically that's all different snippets of what I said doing because every round you had to be on them. Yeah, every round they had to have something, mm -hmm. but the the main one was the one where after I sat down on the corner, we didn't get that one. That was the one where I said, there comes a time in a man's life. Is, can Mora win a championship this way? Does he have to show some passion and make something happen? Or can he just go along trying to win each round? Do you want round? me to change places with you? Do you? Come on, Michael. Listen, this guy is finished. Yo, it comes a time in a man's life. But he makes a decision. He makes a decision to just live, survive, or he wants to win. You're doing just enough to keep him off you and hope he leaves you alone. You're lying to yourself because you're gonna cry tomorrow. You're lying to yourself and I'd lie to you if I let you get away with that. You're gonna cry tomorrow because of that. Do you wanna cry tomorrow? Huh? Then don't lie to yourself anymore. There's something wrong with this guy. Back him up and fight a full round. Okay. And after the right hook, throw the left uppercut. Inside, throw uppercuts after someone take. But the main thing is we, we just saw what what the journey is. Yeah, you can see the emotion there and the... Um, because it had to be... And the urgency. The, there's a fine line. And, and you could even see one point there. I understood that fine line. I said to him, I understand you think you think that you're doing enough. I understand it. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I, saw I, I understand you think you're doing, but you're not. Because, because when we get in these places of difficulty and the fog comes, and the fog comes, it comes. And the fog of pressure, the fog of doubt, the fog of excuses, it comes. And when it comes, one of the things that discombobulates is that, and and the confusion that it brings with us, is that you think you're doing something more than you are. That's its way of getting you off the hook. It's nature's way of getting you off the hook. Because nature just wants to get you past this difficult point because nature's job is to survive, That's not right. to win. I say it again. Nature's job is to survive, not to win. It's your job to win. It was my job to remind them of that. That was it. That's it. And we, um, thank God we got past it, you know, and, but barely, you know, it was, it was tight all the way through. And we finally, there was a point where, 
When he let his hands go, I actually thought he could stop Hartley-Field. Yeah, I actually thought he could stop him if he could be consistent with that. But he never could get quite past that hump and um, take it to that. It's like I used to say in camp, okay, you built the first floor, let's build a second floor. Let's put a penthouse up. Let's put more combinations on top. That's stopped there. That's not stopped there. And I felt he could hurt him in the body, and there were spots he hurt him in the body, but we didn't follow up quite enough but Michael did some good things and um there were spots we just needed to make the spots be less spotty it'd be more consistent and uh color them in a little color them in a little more but uh, at the end you could see he kind of Michael started throwing his jab at the end put his hands up in the air you know and kind of felt that he was kind of had control but part of that was it goes to show you that I understood where we were because that was quite some of the psychological proof again exhibit A in a courtroom when he put his hands up and he was bam 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 and at the end yeah because at the end he knew that it was he saw the light at the end of the tunnel yeah, so, so see that home stretch in a yeah, race, and he's like, "Screw so, it, I'm pulling my head so, down." So now he was doing exactly. Now he was doing exactly what should have been done earlier. That was there to be done earlier because it was safe to do it. The challenge with was, that is you don't know how much gas you have in the tank, especially in a fight. So, but, but, but we, but you have to know because yeah. we did the rounds and 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 we did the rounds every day. But you're right. Under pressure, pressure makes you lie to yourself. You know, pressure lies to you. It lies to you. A lot and, of things uh, in life, you want to pace your effort out, especially, I mean, I can only relate it to a marathon, but you think, okay, I've got, if I want to run one two thirty, I've got to run a one fifteen. Well, the last time I went out, I ran a one ten for us half thinking, you know what? I'll never know if I can run two twenty if I don't run one ten right now. And it ends disastrously. But, but one and, big difference with your world, Nobody's punching you in the face. hundred percent. That's what I love about boxing, and that's what this is all about. Yes, and that's where the lion and the truth, and differentiating between the two, and it's a much bigger price to pay if you go too hard too early in boxing. Well, let me tell you something. When you, you don't get tired, but there is no too hard. See, that's where I'm going to correct you. Okay. There is no too hard. There is no too hard. It, it's it, it, there could be too little, but there's no too hard because if it's there to be done, you do it. Mm-hmm. If it's if if it's there because you're when you I'll give you an example. You've watched fights where a guy looks like he's spent, looks like the needle on the gas tank has gone all the way over the nothing left, nothing left, and then all of a sudden he hurts the guy, and all of a sudden there's there's a there's just a electric jump of adrenaline and energy and the guy's opening up well, Jose you, Luis Castillo there you go. against Diego Corrales and is you've a seen perfect it. example Diego Corrales almost looked like he was dead at one point he took his mouthpiece and threw it out almost like with his hand he got up after the third knockdown and caught uh, Jose Luis Castillo with a shot and all of a sudden Diego Corrales looked like it's the beginning of the first round and he wins in stoppages and Listen. he stops him in the like 11th round There is a a psychological component to this that's 75% of this. And um, it's in life, too. You you believe you can go get that job. You believe you can handle that. That's a big part of it. It's a big part of it. You got to get to that place of believing, of being in charge. Are you surviving or are you trying to win? There's a fine line. 
It's a fine line. He was surviving in some spots. It was my job to tell him there's a difference between that and winning. You think you're winning. You're surviving. It's a tightrope. It's a tightrope. You're walking a tightrope. I love that expression. I, I often call it a competitor versus a completer. You're racing just to complete the race or you're racing to be competitive. And I'll give you another example. When, you, when you're in the domains of the ring under these pressures that I'm talking about, and, um, hey, look, we feel these pressures in life. And all the doubts, threats, risks, everything. You're in there, and when you're doing, that's why I said it. You can't. It's not a matter of trying to pace yourself. And I know some people say you could run out of gas. You could go, listen. I'm talking about within a reasonable realm of you know what you have and what you what should be done. And when there's a chance to do something, you're doing it. You're in charge. That fighter is usually never tired. He's in charge. But then you see the reverse where he's not doing anything. So what are you saying? He's pacing himself? I'm making a point. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. But he's he's not expending energy. He's conserving energy. He's not doing nothing. But the other guy is controlling. Guess mm -hmm. what? How many times have you seen that guy that's supposedly conserving energy look tired? Oh, yeah. Because he's not in control. Because mm -hmm. he's not having fun. Because he he's... Yeah, I'm, I'm putting it simple. No, 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 you're uh, right. Some, but he's not in control. Hey, hey, he's not. He's not the one that's dictating. And when you're dictating, you're in control. You know, you're not thinking about tired. You're not thinking about pace. You're not thinking. You're you're having fun. Maybe whatever word works for you. But you're in control. It's you. It's your game. It's it's your domain. It's your place. But now when you're the hunted. And the guy's coming after you. And you're conserving. You're not punching. Nobody can say, oh, he, he's, he, you know, he spent too much energy. He punched himself out. Nope. Nope. You didn't throw a damn punch, but you're dead. Because you're dead here. Yeah. Because you're dead here. That anxiety. Because you're not in control. That anxiety takes a lot because you're not, of you. Because you're physically. not the one dictating. You're not the one running the game. So when Michael starts bouncing around, putting his hands up and snapping the jab, at the end, well, at that point, here's my feeling: he felt good, he felt good, and I like that. But and he was ready to go. But part of it was confirmation that it was a psychological battle that he was battling, and I, I was right about it. Yeah, it might be too late now, but I was right about it. I, I hope I did enough because he's bouncing because he sees the light at the tunnel and he knows now now that he could do those but it's because also because there's a door there that's not far away and did we wait too long until that door closes on us now so as soon as I got in the ring everybody's jumping around everyone's excited first thing in my mind and I said it to Michael it's a tough thing because he just went through a lot. Yeah. But I'm his, I'm going through it with him and I'm in charge of being truthful to him, mm -hmm. you know? And the first thing I came, he came right to me and then he left me to go someone else because, because he wanted to hear something different. <laughs> but he came right to me and I said, you could have done more. That's all I, I could have done more. But, but, but I was praying it was enough. Yeah. But, but I couldn't help it. I couldn't help but at the last second still be the teacher, the trainer, the guide. And, re and remind the, the me, parent. 
who was the promoter of the fight? Dan Duva, the uh, main event, best he, promoters he in have, the business at the time. Did he promote Holyfield and Michael Mora? He was the promoter. Yeah, he had both. Okay. Yeah. So, but you guys were the B side. So you're thinking in your mind, like, okay, we really have to like win this. He had both guys. Yeah, I mean, look, Holyfield was a special champion anyway. Yeah. Anyone could be a B side with him, but so when you're waiting for the scores, I well, mean, how well, nervous? It, are it, you? It, there's only one word I want to hear: new. How much anxiety are you well, feeling uh, as you're waiting? What's going well, through your I mind? Mean, I, just, do, you, do you think you did it? I, I I think we did with the jab, but was it enough because of what you just said to take it from this guy? Yeah. You know, and plus we got dropped. Yeah, how are they going to look? But I felt like we came back and dominated that round. That's a good uh, point uh, about the knockdown because without the knockdown, Ty, uh, Ant, uh, Deontay Wilder loses his belts. Very good point. Uh, you're right, and uh, it's good that you bring that up. Because you connected with something 25 years ago, and it's still the same here. It's still relative. It's the same. Deontay Wilder wouldn't have a leg to stand on to argue for that draw if he didn't score those knockdowns. Mm. It just shows you how significant knockdowns are in the eyes of the judges. Going back to the course of the fight, just during the fight, I mentioned earlier that that my wife and, and kids were sitting ringside and they were sitting next to somebody they didn't know who it was so in the midst of all the stuff going on the guy notices we find out who he is he's a friend of Michael's but he notices so he says to somebody who is this who, 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 who who's this woman and who's you know who, who are they that's Teddy Atlas's um, wife and children oh at some point I don't know how it came about but at some point, he makes the revelation that he bet $200,000 on Mora. What? Yeah. What was the line on that fight? Well, first, let Roughly. me two to one. Okay. But it turns out that the guy has the money to spend that and a lot more. And he has in the past. His name is Roger King. He owns King World. Oh, yeah. who, who, I know him from your book. Who, who syndicated syndicated Oprah Winfrey, Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, you know, and he was a friend of Michael's. So he's sitting in the seat next to him during the course of the fight. So they're, they're in a little bit of a journey having strangers meet. They're, they're there for the same reason. You know, and they don't know, unbeknownst yeah. to each other, and they go through this journey of twelve rounds. You know, and uh, in the eighth round, uh, when when I the way the fight was going, I guess my wife, what she's prone to doing, she closed her eyes, and she was sometimes she leaves the arena, and she closed her eyes and she wasn't looking, and this guy's talking, and he's just talking out loud. And he's saying, this is interesting. I've never seen this before. You know, this. we'll see what this does. And what he was talking about was I was sitting in the stool. <laughs> so my wife hears him talking. She's saying, with her eyes closed, she's saying, what is this guy talking about? So she opens her eyes, takes her hands away, and she sees me. <laughs> and she says, oh, my God, he's lost his mind. <laughs> He 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 it, it, he lost his mind. 
you know, like it became too much for me, you know. But given that your wife knows you so well, much like my own wife, she's probably like, oh no, now everyone knows he's crazy. I already knew he was crazy. Now everyone knows. She just (laughs) said, oh my God, he lost his mind. And, um, and, you know, at the end, my kids were standing there and my wife told me that Teddy just kept saying, and knew, and and Nicole, and knew, and knew, and then all of a sudden, Buffer says, and knew, heavyweight champion of the world, <sighs> Michael Mora, and... Does it still gives you chills the way, like when I even just think about it, I don't think about chills. it a lot, but just now, thinking about it, it's very, it, it makes me uh, grateful again, and happy that it paid off uh, for the journey that my family the i tell you the the uh, the payoff for me was i remember when i did listen to it somebody put it on i listened to uh, some of the broadcasts at the end and i remember i, I remember um it was uh i guess it was jim lampley and larry merchant and lampley was just saying who one can only, Merchant was saying it's a very interesting partnership. Who knows how long it can last between Moore and Atlas. It's very interesting dynamics. You know, what took place during the night, something like that along those lines. And then you had Lampley saying, what's going, they put the camera on me. I didn't know it was on me, obviously. And everyone else is jumping around, hugging each other. And I'm all by myself. This is after he announced that he's yeah. the winner. You've won the title yeah. and you're just kind of unemotional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah I, I'm Appear, just, appearing uh, unemotional. Yeah, well, I was... I was looking for what I needed to look for for that moment. And so Lampley was doing his job, a good job. He does a good job. So he says wonder what's going on in Teddy Atlas's mind right now. That's because what I'm as too. the cameras are on me, I'm going over by myself where everyone else is, you know, in, is celebrating. So you hear Lampley saying, one can only wonder what's going on right now in Teddy's mind, Teddy Atlas's mind. And you know what it was? No, I had I'm dying met, to hear it. I had... um. The day before the fight, I told you everyone kept saying congratulations, good luck. I got a uh, a bottle of Dom Perignon sent to my room. I still remember his name, which is amazing. Henry Gluck, he was the CEO of Caesar's Palace. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's still alive. He's probably not. I hope he is. But he wasn't young then, so he probably wasn't. But you never know. I don't know. He was the CEO, and he sent me... He sent me a bottle of Dom Perignon with a note, personal note. Good luck. And I don't know what made him do it. And he met me. He saw me for a moment. It didn't mean anything to me because I was just so locked into the fighter and what we had to do. It might have been the day before. It might have been three days before. But I did meet him for a minute. I kind of forgot about it. I didn't even pay attention. And he said, Teddy, Henry Gluck, anything you need? Let me know. Glad to have you here. 
and then I get the bottle down. So it's Henry. Now it, it's the weirdest, I don't know, it's nature allowing you to be ready when you need to be ready. Nature allowing you to grab onto the things that have to be grabbed and push away the things that don't have to be grabbed when they don't have to be grabbed. Nature is genius, innate. And it didn't mean nothing to me then, nothing. Because the only thing that meant was what we talked about this whole time, when, when, when. So now, all of a sudden, it means something. Henry Gluck, the CEO of Caesars, he can do it. I walk right over. He's standing right there, sitting right there. Congratulations, I put my head out. I said, Mr. Gluck, what can I do for you? I need to, whatever you want. I one thing, Mr. Gluck. Please get somebody to get my children into this ring. And he says, get Teddy Atlas's kids into the ring right now. He tells the security. And I, where are they? And I point over. Next thing you know, the security, these big security guys are picking them up in the air. And they're passing them through to other security guys all the way up to the ring. And I'm, you know, I'm standing there in the corner. And they come up in the ring. And you got to remember now, just like Cus said, I'm going to have the champion, you know, all this stuff. Um, my family, that I was supposed to do it. That's what I was supposed to do. That's why I missed all these holidays. That's why I missed uh, birthdays. That's why, you know, I was in camp when, when they didn't want me in camp. When I remember I would call up when I get in camp and my daughter would say, I don't want to get on the phone with him. I want to see him. I, I want to see him. I don't want to get on the phone. And um, my son would say, what what channel do you have on your TV? What color is your room? And what channel do you have on? And then he would go and put that channel on. And my wife would say, what are you doing? He says, I'm with daddy. I'm making believe I'm with daddy. And um, so that moment, I got him up in the ring. And they pass him up. They come up in the ring, and of course I can't do this without my beautiful wife, but, you know, the kids, yeah. it's a separate thing. And they come up in the ring, and they get put in through the ropes, and I'm right there waiting for them. And uh, they say, you did it. And I said, no, we did it. And we all hug, and at that moment, I mean, that's that was the answer to what Lampley was. What, I wonder what Teddy's thinking. I was just thinking, I got to get my kids in the ring. And it hit me, Mr. Gluck can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gluck can do it. And at that moment, it was like I could be, I could just, I could live again. I could be, a, I, I could be a father and take care of my family now. And, and, just look up there and say, oh, thanks, Dad. You know, like that I could close on that and say that, you know, rest rest good and, you know, hope you're happy. Thanks. And now I could go back to, you know, living and being – because I couldn't live for those two months in camp in, in, in that kind of way of living. Of course I'm living. But uh, – I, I, I couldn't breathe the way you want to breathe as a father, uh, for your own family, until 
I took care of that part of my family first and, and put it to rest. And that for me was putting it to where it needed to be put. And I remember that uh, when I got back, I, um, I went to the florist and I bought like, I don't know if it was five or seven dozen red roses. <laughs> my father loved roses and, um, you know, he loved rose bushes. And so I put like, I think it was like five dozen and five, six, seven, whatever it was, it was a, and it's like this, and I'm walking out of the and with these roses like this, you know, and I'm um, going up to the cemetery. So I'm walking out, and and these two young kids, it was two, it might have been three kids. They were, they're, you know, they're, they're driving by, and they got the window open, and uh, you know, young fresh kids, but yeah, not yeah. bad kids, you know. But so they yell out, "Hey, Teddy, congratulations! That ain't for the champ, is it?" <laughs> and and I gave him a look because sometimes you would understand this because yeah. you give everyone a look. You you would you would understand this better than anybody in this room. I give him a look like what, and they go just kidding, <laughs> just kidding, Teddy, just kidding. And I have, and I go I up have to, to say in my defense, I'm very I'm black and white. I can give that look like I'm gonna drop these flowers and kill you, but I can also give a look like. I love you guys. Yeah. Like I, it's 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 extreme well, both it depends ways. What look they give you exactly. But, but so I went up to the cemetery and I, you know, I finished it up, put them down, you know, and um, I thanked them. You know, I said, "That's it." You know, what are you gonna do? But um, that was. I think we covered the fight pretty good. The part when you were um. Talking about your kids, I, I don't want to talk too much about it now because I'm gonna. I feel like I'm getting choked up, but because you're a father, you know, and you're a good person, right? You're a father. You're a good person. You're you're a human being, you know, and that's what we are before we're anything else, you know. That's what we we're supposed to be. Anyone who has kids can relate to that. It's like, um, especially if you have to be away from them a lot. Like when I come here, they're like, oh, dad, why are you going to New York again? I have to remind them, oh, you you like wearing those uh, Air Jordan shoes? <laughs> I don't make them myself in the basement. <laughs> You're the best kid. You really are. <laughs> but it's all, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, everything is for the kids, you know? And it's like just getting to do Sometimes anything. Sometimes I confuse them. you between you and Confucius. <laughs> I, I can't tell who's who. <laughs> you are the best. <laughs> but I can only imagine because just going to the events with my son that I'm not involved in the event and watching him and watching him experience these things for the first time, I can't even imagine the joy you must have of see, having your kids experience that with you. Unfortunately, your dad couldn't be there, which would have been the just the culmination of everything. But to have your kids there is the next best thing at the time, right? Just having them see what all the suffering and separation, what all the sacrifice was for. And to see everyone and see them witness you get that public adulation it means something. I know you're going to try to downplay and, you, you know, okay, it's you're not a big deal, but it is a big deal. Now part of history, you have a share of the heavyweight title. No one will ever, it, it can never be taken away from you. And uh, to have your kids be there and witness it at such a young age, is, it's, it's just awesome. It's like 
words can't describe it. Anyone who has young kids will know exactly what I'm talking about. You, and it doesn't have to be boxing. It could be anything. It could be your first art exhibit. It could be your first big promotion in work when your kids recognize that you've done something great. Oh, and we did it together, you know, collaboratively. And um, that's what makes the, you know, this this um, privilege that I'm being given by the Hall of Fame to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, that's what makes it mean something. That's the meaning for it. Yeah. Is that I can use that moment to say thanks again to my, and you make a good point. I can go around, I can close the circle to a certain extent and go from when they were seven and nine years old, which I think is what they were, and and now they're 34 and 36 years old or 35. Which, by the way, that's how old my kids are really? now, nine, seven, five, nine, wow. seven, five, and three. Wow. And, nine, and eight, now six, you have a beautiful nine. family. Thank you. And now, you know, my kids are 34 and 36, and now I have another moment that, that I've been blessed with that I can go to the Hall of Fame and it's not about anything other than the same thing, the same thing. It's a chance to tell them thank you. Mm-hmm. It's a chance to to share something that we did together and um, that makes them feel good, that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and to use something in my life to be able to celebrate something with them and make them feel good and have a good moment and again say thank you yeah and one thing that i want to ask you before we uh, wrap this up is i know from reading your book that michael was a very emotional person and, He's a good al- person, and always seemed to be looking for you to tell him that you loved him and you being a uh, staten island street guy and um kind of with tough exterior did you ever finally break down and tell him that you loved him We'll save that for another episode. All right. (laughs) Yes, I did. Good for you. I think that's an important thing, and a lot of people get hung up on emotions and and fear of showing emotions, but that's one thing I do with my children and even with my friends that I I genuinely love. I'm not a... I I never hesitate to tell them if I love them. You should. You're right. You're 100% right, and special person he was that after the fight... He uh, he flew in to see me into Staten Island, and um, my wife would cook for me. Love of my wife would cook for me, you know, because she he, she used a lot of garlic, and he liked garlic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he came in, you know. So all of a sudden, uh, he says, "Let's go downstairs, go to the park." And you know, go go to the park. I don't know if he said play basketball or something. We had a park, <laughs> you know, across the street, and I was like, for what? And, <laughs> you know, and he says, "Come on, come on, you know, I do what you tell me to do." It's like we were getting back to fighting again. You know, we were arguing again. Like this is a good time, you know. And he says, "I do what you do, Elaine. Tell him, I do what you do. What he says, Elaine says, do what he says, Teddy." What do you? I uh, I do what you told me to do. Then I do what you told me. All right, we'll go down the park. What the fuck are we going to the park for? So we go downstairs, <laughs> you know, we go down the building we lived in at the time, and we go down the elevator. And we go out, 
walking. And, um, you know, he was a car freak. He loved cars. You know, he's in, like my son. My son loves cars too. They know everything. They know the engine. You love cars, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. And he knows the, the kind of engine, of the size, the, you know, all that kind of stuff that I have no <laughs> I You know, like I said, I it was not long ago I had a flip phone. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to know, you think I'm going to know a lot about cars? <laughs> I know boxing. <laughs> I, I that's about it. Okay. Yeah. So we uh, we go downstairs. You know, all a family and my wife's with. And I'm kind of like, a, I'm thinking, what are we all doing here? What are we? So I guess we're gonna take a walk in the park. <laughs> so we're walking towards the park, and uh, all of a sudden, Michael goes, "Oh, check out that car!" So I don't even look. He goes. You ignoring me? I said, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> check out that I car. I can just imagine this check, conversation. Check out that car. Completely oblivious. Ain't that car? Ain't that hot? Ain't that some? I look, I turn around, I see this brand new, obviously, shining to a, like like it would knock your eyes out, the tint on it, the 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 just to shine on it, um, of this beautiful, I'd never seen a car like that before, um, sports uh, red Lexus, yeah. you know, and um, with the sports coupe, you know, yeah, the, yeah. and, you know, I see it, and it's got the wheels, the spoke wheels on it with gold, and I, so <laughs> once I saw it, I said, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a nice, but who cares? Yeah. Like, you know, let's go look at it. And like, I'm not going to look at the car. Come on, come look. I said, for why? So we go over there, walk across. The Elaine says, don't fight with him. Come on, make him happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I, we go, we walk across the street. Next thing I know, there's 10 of us. And, you know, I'm not even thinking. And we get across the street. And uh, he goes, man, this is some car. Wow, he goes, it's brand new. Look, the papers are still in the window. <laughs> and they were, you know, they were stuck on the window. still had the sticker in the yeah, window, yeah, yeah. yeah so, and uh, so he says, look at this paper. This is weird. He goes, look at this. <laughs> and I'm like ignoring him. I'm just saying, come on, we're going to go or what? I mean, it's, you know. And he goes, look at this. Come on. He's, look. And I look, Teddy Atlas. <laughs> Owner, owner, Teddy Atlas. 19, whatever year it was, obviously 300X, whatever it was, Lexus, owner, Teddy Atlas. I look at him, and he, you know, he hands me the keys. And he says, thanks. That was it. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. Because again, to him, Okay, it's a car, but to him, the cars were significant. It meant something to him. He loved oh, yeah. cars, you know. It was a big deal. He and him, you got to understand what a generous guy—not just generous, but he wanted always the best of everything, uh, you know, even to his detriment sometimes. But um, I appreciated it. But he, you know, he went to Dan Duva went with him. The promoter went with him, went into the car dealership, drove them crazy. He said, "I want, <laughs> I want everything." These, what do you mean, uh, everything? I want to. Well, you could put it. I want that. Uh, well, what about that too? <laughs> well, one of these. Yeah, put one of those in. Put one of these. Put one of those. What else you got? And um, 
It had a phone. There were no phones in college yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, it had a phone. It was like this big, you know? Unfortunately, <laughs> one phone call was probably like $1,000 <laughs> back in those days. Yeah. Yeah. My wife was like, don't use that phone. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, we had a poster, beautiful poster. They don't make beautiful posters like they used to. The fight you know? posters, yeah. Yeah, that was really nice. So they had a fight poster of, uh, you know, of him and Holyfield. And uh, so he took one of those ink pens and he wrote on it, thanks for pushing me. Uh, thanks for pushing and pushing. Uh, you know, Michael Moore, heavyweight champ of this world. And then he put underneath, P.S., stay off my stool. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you still have that framed at your house. Yeah, I do. That's beautiful. Well, that was a hell of a journey and um, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I'm super happy for you and I'm excited to see you in the Hall of Fame. And uh, again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you letting me host this show with you. I appreciate you. And um, with that, we're going to wrap this episode. I hope everyone enjoys this um, story. And if you do, please leave some feedback, share, comment. If you like this one, Teddy's got a lot of them. So please subscribe to the channel. Um, tell your friends to subscribe. And uh, keep tuning in. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Teddy. Thank you.